Amen. Thank you, David and Praise Team. And uh, at this time, elementary kids, if y'all want to be dismissed with David and the children's ministry helpers for their time of children's worship. And I'll ask you, if you don't mind, joining me in turning to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We're looking at verses 9 through 13 today. And uh, I know in David's prayer he said Nick's willingness, but uh, let's just be honest. When Chris called me last night, he... Uh, he said, I went through everyone else that was, you know, I could come to mind. And um, finally, Ashley said, won't you call Nick? And so you're my last resort. So uh, I really didn't have an option. There's not really a lot of willingness there. But uh, I do appreciate the opportunity. Um, I did. Uh, we were coming home from softball when Chris called me last night. And uh, I, uh, I've learned to not ever say no. That's one of my character flaws. And so I hung up the phone and Michelle looks at me and she's like, so you've got to preach two services tomorrow morning and you don't know what you're preaching on. She's like, and you've got to do Sunday school. And I said, yeah. She's like, how are you going to do this? I said, we don't know. We'll, we'll fly. So uh, I ask for your uh, your grace and prayers as we go through this. And uh, if I, for some reason, in the second service, if I don't make it through, we'll just blame Billy Barton since he asked me to teach Sunday school this morning. Uh, and he's always a good scapegoat. But if you don't mind, if you'll join me in standing as we read God's Word, Matthew chapter 9. Verses 9 through 13. It says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just come to you this morning. Father, that is the the prayer of my heart, Father, that we would follow you wherever you lead us. Whatever you ask us to do, Father, that we would be willing to go. Just as we just sang, Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Father, knowing that if we're going to sing that that phrase, of that song, then we've got to be willing to drop everything, take up our cross and follow you. Father, I pray during the next few moments as you speak through me, Father, that you would just open up our hearts to receive your word. Then when we walk out these doors, we will walk out a changed people. It's in your gracious and holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Follow me. Title of the message today. Two two key words that, and I apologize, I'm not, I have to move around. I'm not like Chris, I can't stand behind the podium. Um, Follow me. Two just vital words as a Christian. And you think of how many times Jesus said, follow me. Whether it was specific to Matthew here or Peter, James, and John. Going to the Old Testament when God told Abraham to go uh, sacrifice Isaac and told him to go. That, that there was no uh, questioning. There was no, well, God, you know, I've really got to do this. I've really got to do that. They just got up and left. These two words were very critical for me about 18 months ago. I was pastoring a small church in Clear, Alabama, Northside Baptist Church. 
And for years, I'd, I'd been there for eight years, and I'd been praying that God would allow me to preach through the book of Hebrews. Be careful what you ask for. Because when I began preaching through the book of Hebrews, God began to tell me, Nick, leave this church and follow me. I'd built my whole life. I had gone to seminary. I had uh, worked a full-time job, gone to seminary at night, all to, to be able to be a lead pastor in a church. And God here, uh, 18 months ago, is telling me, follow me and leave this church. Now, I can't say I was like Matthew and Peter, James and John. I, I took the more uh, American Christian approach. And God, let me pray about it for a little bit. Let me seek some wise counsel. But these two words just haunted me. Follow me. Follow me. So I ask you, in today's culture, if I mention being a follower, no doubt many of you think to Facebook, Instagram, or other social media. In fact, Merriam-Webster and Social B both define a follower as a person who subscribes to the opinions ideas, beliefs, and teachings of another. And you know what? They're right. In our churches today, we have a lot of people who subscribe to the opinions of, of Christ, who, who love the ideas that we read about in the Bible, who even hear, know, and agree with the beliefs and teaching of Jesus. But Merriam-Webster also gives another definition, which I think Jesus is talking about here. We see all throughout uh, his, his Gospels we see all throughout Scripture. Another definition of being a follower is one that imitates another. So the questions we have to ask ourselves today is, what type of follower are you? Are you one that just says, yeah, I believe what Jesus says, but I'm not really going to adjust my life to it? Yeah, I believe Jesus is the only way to heaven and, and I'm going to come and I'm going to profess that before the church and I'm going to get baptized and so I'm on a church roll and so I have my fire insurance so I don't go to hell but I really don't want to follow Jesus anywhere. The second question is, what type of follower was Christ seeking there? When He said to Matthew, follow me, was He wanting Matthew to, to continue His ways as a tax collector and cheating people out of their money, but on Sunday show up and pretend like everything's okay? And sing hallelujah, Jesus is my life? And live like He wanted to the rest of the week? Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, and I encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to read that, it's a great... Uh, complimentary book to what we've been studying in the Sermon on the Mount. Much of Dietrich's book is surrounded on the Sermon on the Mount, but in the first chapter, he calls uh, costly grace. And he says there's a huge disconnect between the two questions that I just asked in the church today. And what he says is that many in the church today follow a cheap grace. Many in the church today follow a cheap grace. And you ask, what is a cheap grace? Cheap grace, one that follows a, a cheap Christ, if you will, says, come as you are, leave as you came. We don't expect any transformation. We don't expect your life to be any different when you gather together or when you open up God's Word. Cheap grace says it's okay to live like the rest of the world. It's okay that you look just like your non-believing neighbor. 
It's okay that you use the same words that your neighbor who cusses up and down and yells at his kids all the time. It's okay that you act like that. Because we're all sinners. Cheap grace has a preaching of forgiveness with no expectation of repentance. No confession, no accountability. In fact, those that follow a cheap grace have no desire to be delivered from their sins. Sounds a lot like American Christianity to me. Come as you are. It's okay if you change. If you if you change, guess what? We'll make you a deacon. We may put you on staff. We may make you a Sunday school teacher, an elder. But for the most of you that come every Sunday morning, you just come as you want to. You, we're not going to invest our uh, our lives in, in. People are okay with that. In fact, there is a large church in the Birmingham area that, when I was pastoring, I lost several members to that church. And talking to them afterwards, they, I said, why, why do you go to this church that's not biblical teaching? And they said, I can just go and be. Nobody asked me to do anything. Nobody cares about my spiritual walk. I can just go and relax. Is that the kind of church we want? Is that the kind of Christian you want to be? That you follow a cheap grace? Dietrich and his chapter on costly grace says that costly grace is worth fighting for. In fact, as we see in this passage here, following Christ is costly. Following Christ is costly. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27, Jesus talks about following Him and He says, Then Jesus said to His disciples, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Following Christ is costly. In fact, in Luke's account of the calling of Matthew, he says in Luke chapter 5, verse 28, And Levi, Matthew, got up, left everything, and followed him. So let me ask you, what did following Christ cost you? If we're honest... Most of us, following Christ really hasn't cost us anything. I want to share two stories, and uh, won't we give specific names, but you'll be able to know who they are. But in our Sunday school class, we have two families who have loved ones who have followed Christ to the ends of the earth. And as I see the joy when we talk about prayer requests or talk about updates about what's going on, I also see the pain Realizing that that their family member's decision to follow Christ has cost them something. Family members aren't always there for birthdays. Family members aren't always there for holidays. And I know that's an extreme example, but following Christ should cost us something. See, Matthew, being a tax collector, he he was known as, as a cheat. He would take more than was required, sort of take a little off the top. He would make deals with the wealthy to reduce their taxes. 
And Luke says that he got up and left everything and followed Christ. Matthew was willing to give up a very lucrative career to follow Christ. Luke chapter 14, 25 through 23, Jesus again talks about following him and the cost. He says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation or not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not, he will send a delegation while the elder is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give everything you have cannot be my disciples. What does following Christ cost you? See, I think a lot of times we read things like this in the Bible. We read the story of the rich young ruler where Jesus says, Go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and come and follow me. That's just an attitude. You know, we got to be willing to do that. But I ask, if Christ were to give you that command today, how many of you would do it? How many of you would put your house on the market today, sell everything you have, give everything you have to the poor, and follow Christ? I'll be honest, I know I wouldn't. Because my things mean... More to me sometimes in Christ. I'm just being honest. If God told me tomorrow to quit your job and to follow Him, God, that, that puts food on the table for my family. That pays for my Disney addiction. God, I, I don't know that I can do that. Following Christ is costly. It will cost us something. And let's just be honest, we like following a, a Christ who offers cheap grace in the church, right? Many of us came here today to hear good music, which we have. Good sermon. I apologize that you're not going to get that today. Come back next week, Chris, so uh, be here. But a cheap grace makes us feel good about ourselves. Cheap grace is that consumer mentality that says, I'm coming here to make myself feel good. I don't need Jesus to ask me to do anything. I don't need anybody to ask me to serve in anywhere. I just want to come, hear some good music, hear a good sermon, feel good about myself, give my tithes and offerings, and be on my merry way. And then we wonder why our children leave the church. We wonder why our neighbors don't want anything to do with us or the gospel. Why? It's almost like to our our neighbors, we we have the option of a Ferrari or an El Camino. And in Christianity, we're selling them an El Camino. Hey, here's an El Camino. Isn't this great? It'll get you from point A to B. And they're like, well, I can have this Ferrari over here. Why would I want that trash? 
And so when we follow a cheap grace, that's what we're offering to the world is, is this, this junk. And I hope nobody has an El Camino. I just called it trash. I apologize. Oh. But that's what we offer the world when we live our lives following a cheap grace. And what's sad is so many ministers, pastors, have proclaimed that cheap grace convinced us that that leads us to Christ. Billy Graham said many years ago that seven out of ten people sitting in pews every Sunday do not know Christ and will go to hell. I think that's a little underestimated, to be honest with you. I've been as guilty as anyone else. But when we follow a cheap grace, really what we're doing is we're following, as ACDC said, the highway to hell. We're not following Christ. Satan has deceived us. So we must recognize that following Christ is costly. Second, we need to recognize that following Christ means we recognize we're not okay. Did y'all know that? Can I be honest with you for just a minute? Your life stinks. It does. Romans 3.10, Paul tells us that there is not one of us that is righteous. Isaiah 64.6 tells us that all of our righteousness, you know what it is in the sight of God? It is filthy rags. But we come to church and we put a smile on our face, right? I don't know if you've heard the, the song by Matthew West, Truth Be Told. I, I admit, I'm, I'm a crier. My wife will tell you I cry at, at everything. But every time I hear that song, I, I cry because for so many years, I live that lie. I come to church and I pretend like everything's okay. And some of you are here today and you're pretending like everything's okay, but you know what? Your marriage stinks. Maybe you're on the verge of divorce and you've not shared that with anybody. Maybe you're up to your eyeballs in debt, but you come to church and smile like everything's okay. You're dealing with an addiction or you're struggling with a sin or you're in a deep spot spiritually, but you come to church, put a smile on your face and pretend like everything's okay. That's cheap grace right there. It's cheap grace. But I'll be honest with you, not only does your life stink, mine does too. All of ours do. From Pastor Chris down to the youngest person in this church, our life stinks. Because why? We're sinners. This idea of recognizing that we're not okay is something that I struggled with. Being a pastor, I'm supposed to pretend like I've got it all together, right? And so I would get up every Sunday and I would drive, we lived in Pelham at the time, drive to Calera and... Um, I would get there, and please hear me, there was no moral failure. That's not why I left the church, so I don't want you to get that. But I would get there, and as I'd walk in, I would just feel drained. Because I felt like I was putting on a show. i got to go in, and i got to pretend like as pastor, I have everything together. I didn't yell at my wife this week. I didn't yell at my kids. I didn't yell at the umpire at the softball game. I didn't overeat. I didn't do this. I've got to act like I've got it all together. And when God told me to leave that church, it was like I hit a wall and he said, Nick, you need to recognize you don't have it all together. You're not okay. 
And I'm going to be honest with you, when, when you come to that place, it's going to take you into a very deep and dark place spiritually because for about a year, I struggled on how in the world I could stand up and preach the gospel from people knowing what a sinner I was. How could God love me even though I, I do everything that the Bible tells me to do? I, I praise God. I worship God. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing all these things. But yet I still feel so worthless and so vile. And it took being here at this church and having many of you come alongside us. And you don't know it. But you helped bring me out of that deep, dark place where I realized, you know what, Nick? It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to admit that I'm a sinner and not just generic and say, hey, we're all sinners. It's okay to be honest. And then at the close, I'm going to be honest with you about some of the sins and some of the things that's going on with me because here's what I think. Again, as pastors, a lot of times we want to challenge you as the congregation from reading God's Word, but we never really want to open up about what's going on in our own lives. But following Christ means it's okay to recognize you're not okay. And Matthew did, as he said in Luke chapter 5, he left everything. He realized the life that he was living was not okay. It did not align with who Jesus was. And so he had to make a decision. Am I going to recognize that I'm not okay and I'm going to follow Christ or I'm going to continue to pretend like everything's great, everything's wonderful? At our house, we, uh, we don't watch a lot of the new stuff. Um, my wife and I often joke that we were born in the wrong time. We watch, uh, probably the most up-to-date thing we watch is Everybody Loves Raymond. It's an inside story. Doesn't know that, know why. Um, but we like to watch Andy Griffith, Little House on the Prairie. And, uh, we were watching an episode of Little House on the Prairie. Um, and if you haven't watched that in a long time, I encourage you to. It's just, it's good. It's wholesome. Uh, there's a lot of life lessons, but, uh, Andrew Garvey, uh, was one of the young kids in the school and, and he was making bad grades and his mom, Alice, was the teacher. And she said, well, I'm going to get you some, some help. Um, we're going to let Nellie Olson tutor you. Which, first off, she should have been like, that's not the right idea. But Nellie teaches Andrew how she makes good grades. And she cheats. And Andrew went from making D's to making hundreds. And his mom was so proud and she was so excited. But Laura Ingalls caught Andrew cheating on one of the tests and confronted him. And you could see when he was confronted with his sin, the burden that he carried around. Even though he continued to cheat, it, it, it changed. He, he felt horrible about it. And he wanted to speak out. So Laura goes to her dad, Charles Ingalls, Michael Landon, and, and shares her concern with him. And so he and Andrew go fishing one day. And he talks about one day when he was holding the secret. And he said, you know what? I got the biggest whooping I ever got in my life. But I didn't mind it because I was free. See, some of us are holding on to something, whether it's an addiction, whether it's something that's not okay in our life, whether we're in a deep, dark place spiritually, and we just need to confess it and take the consequences, but experience the freedom. Because once Andrew spoke up and admitted that he was, he had cheated, I mean, his mom was disappointed, his dad was disappointed, and at the end of the little conversation, Jonathan takes him to the barn. That's, you know, Gonna give him a good, uh, whooping. 
And he says, Mom, it's okay. I feel free. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but when you confess your sins, yes, the consequences are still going to come, but there is a freedom in admitting that you're not okay. And not just generically, but being specific and saying, God, I'm not okay in this area. And I need your help. Confessing to a friend, to a spouse, I'm not okay in this area and I need your help. So following Christ is costly. Following Christ means we recognize we're not okay. Following Christ is personal. Following Christ is personal. What do I mean by that? I mean that my kids aren't going to follow Christ just because I follow Christ. It's a personal decision. A lot of us, though, think because mom and daddy were, you know, Sunday school teacher or uh, president of the WMU or, or whatever, that, that because they were at church and I was at church every time growing up, that uh, I'm okay. Following Christ is personal. It's a personal decision that each and every one of us have to make. It's also personal in that my path is going to be different than yours. We're all going to get in the same destination if we follow Christ, but we're all going to take different paths because we're created differently. Some of us, we're going to have to go through some heartaches. Some of us, there's going to be some really deep, dark times because of some addictions we have in our lives. Some of us, maybe uh, periods of, of singleness or, or loneliness and feeling like no one's there, no one cares. Just because of our God-given abilities and talents, our path is going, to be per- is going to be different and personal. In Psalm 51, David writes, as he was confronted with his sin, he says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. Why is it personal? Because it's different. See, a lot of us in the church today, we won't just have this plan. God, you just tell me, church, you just tell me. We want Pastor Chris just to put up on the screen, these are the things you do and you'll follow Christ. Read your Bible, pray every day, do this, do that. David says, and Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 says, I don't want sacrifice. I don't, want, I don't care about your concrete, physical examples of following me. That means nothing. Give you an example. When I was in seminary, we had to. Um, I was in seminary during the time of Hurricane Katrina, and in the middle of, of my degree, they decided to add a course, which is always lovely, right? And so it was a missions class, and so we had to go down to New Orleans. So Michelle and I went. We didn't have kids at the time. We went down there and participated in a missions class, and we were out in the ninth ward and working with people. And at the same time, Brad Pitt and some of the celebrities they were coming in and helping to rebuild one of the. Uh, People down in New Orleans said, here's the difference between what y'all are doing and what Brad Pitt's doing. Is y'all are following Christ. Brad Pitt's just doing it because it's the right thing to do. So you can pray all you want. You can read your Bible. You can give your tithes and offerings. But if it doesn't come from a heart that's following Christ, it's worthless in the sight of God. So what is your next steps? 
We need to make that decision. Are we going to follow cheap grace or costly grace? Are we going to truly be an imitator of Christ and follow Him? As I've already mentioned, some of you are dealing with addiction. Like I said, I'm going to share some personal stuff. I'm I'm struggling with an addiction. And what I'm about to share, please, I don't want laughs because when I share this, I think some people are going to snicker and say, oh yeah, I get it. But I struggle with an addiction to food. And I want to walk this very carefully. I know eating disorders is a real hard thing, especially for our young ladies. But I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I eat to make myself feel good. But then when I look in the mirror, I'm disgusted at what I see. But then I eat to make myself feel good. Sounds really stupid, right? But here's the thing. It is a sin in the eyes of God to desire food more than I desire Him. Now you may be saying, well, Nick, you don't understand. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with alcohol. I'm struggling with whatever. And, and, and the church is okay with you struggling with an addiction to food. Let me tell you, God's not. God sees my addiction to food just as He sees your addiction to pornography or his, your, your addiction to alcoholism or your addiction to abuse or you being in a, one that's been abused. God sees it all the same. Those sins are the same. And so I encourage you to be open about it. Be freed in confessing and saying, I'm going to confess this and I'm going to follow God. And I spoke addiction today in my own life. Expectation is that some of you will hold me accountable. Maybe you need to admit that you're just struggling spiritually. You're in that dark place. And you just need a brother or sister to come alongside of you. I was in the same place. I know. I know what it's like to not ever want to darken the door of a church again. I know what it's like to... to Question, how can God love me when I am so unlovable and I am such an evil, ungodly person? I've been there. Or maybe for some of us, it's just being obedient and getting out of our comfort zone. Giving up the wealth that we have. Selling all our possessions and giving it to the poor and following Christ. For me, I need to get out of my comfort zone and I need to Share the gospel with Josh and Dean and Jason and Graham. Yeah, that's right. I went to seminary, I have a degree, and yet there's people that I say, well, God, I really don't need to share the gospel with them. They're a neighbor. What will they think? God, I've already shared the gospel once with Jason, and he rejected it. And God, we have a good friendship. There's no need to, to push that again. Without the gospel of Christ, without Jason choosing to follow Christ, you know where Jason's going to end up? In hell. And so if I truly love him, I need to be out there following Christ every moment of every day so that Jason could see what I am telling him with my lips. I believe and it's true. Whatever God is calling you to do, whatever God is saying, follow me in, I know this much for all of us. All of us who are following the costly grace that Jesus Christ offers are being asked to do something. Jesus will never say, follow me, and then say, stay right there. You're good. 
You, you just be the model citizen. You don't have anything to work on. And failure to respond is not an option. In fact, is a characteristic of one who is following the cheap grace that is proclaimed and propagated throughout many of our churches in America. So my question is, how are you going to follow Christ? What is he calling you to do? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we just come to you today just so thankful for who you are. And God, I pray that we would follow you, not just as a generic, I believe the ideas of of Christ, but with one who is totally sold out to being like you. Father, may we follow the example that Paul says, imitate me as I imitate the example Christ has set for us. God, I pray as there are those in this in our midst that are struggling, struggling with an addiction, struggling with, with giving up what they are comfortable with and following you, Father, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would break down those barriers and that they would follow you. Father, we love you and it's in your gracious name we pray. Amen.